Nate, when you think of DNA, what comes to mind? Deoxyribonucleic acid? Well, it's the hereditary material present in almost all living things, the very cradle of humanity. Well, yes, that's all true. But did you know that it's also a key tool for conservation? Mm, I get the feeling this is going somewhere really interesting. Care to elaborate? I am definitely leading up to some pretty cool science. Explorer Dr. Natalie Schmidt is a real-life conservation geneticist, and in her line of work, DNA is everything. We use DNA as a tool to help us learn more about species that are difficult to study. So we can Mm -hmm. take a skin sample or a fecal sample from an animal, Mm -hmm. and we can learn about their movement. We can learn things about their population. Um, We can determine the abundance of that species just from the DNA that we extract from those samples that animals leave behind. My real passion as a conservation geneticist is actually using genetic tools to help us learn more about species that are difficult to study, so rare and elusive species, and particularly rare and elusive species that uh, live in the planet's extremes. And when Dr. Schmidt says extreme, she means extremely cold. I became quite interested in trying to get down to the Antarctic because my my great-grandfather, Charlie Sandell, he was a huge inspiration for me. So he was part of Sir Douglas Mawson's Antarctic expedition from 1911 to 1914. And I just wanted to follow in his footsteps. So I was lucky enough to score a PhD with the Australian Antarctic Division and got to go down there a few times and following humpback whales, then went on to study the largest animal that's ever lived, the Antarctic blue whale. If you think that's impressive, then hold on to your hats because that's just the tip of the iceberg for Dr. Schmidt. What do you think, Callie? Should we get this party started? It's about that time, Nate. Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. We are continuing our Explorers Club series today with a very special guest, Dr. Natalie Schmidt. And when I say Dr. Schmidt can do it all, I really mean she can do it all. She's not only a conservation geneticist, but she's a marine ecologist and documentary host. Her passion for biodiversity has led to a long and impactful career in conservation. The only thing that seems to be difficult for her is to succinctly summarize her specialties. It's very difficult to talk about what I specialize in because I've had such an um, eclectic career, I think you could call it. An eclectic career to say the very least, but one that's been driven by a deep passion for conservation. It's a hard time to be a conservation scientist because, Mm -hmm. I mean, biodiversity is diminishing at such an alarming rate. And that's really our life's work is to try and and protect it, try and save it and even Mm -hmm. replenish it. And it's it's really hard when you're trying to, when you're at the kind of um, the whim of governments uh, of 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 people which is why I I kind of in my career I I was focused on uh, conservation science work but I found that as my career has continued I'm realizing the importance of involving everyday people in conservation Mm -hmm. so empowering everyday people inspiring everyday people to want to protect this planet because I, I really think that is the key 
to solving biodiversity loss. Science is an important component, but I believe it's not the most important component. It's people. It's people. It's absolutely people. That makes sense. So I, I mean, I started off, uh, I started off, as I said, as an animal behaviorist, and then I actually quit science to to get into documentary film and try my hand at presenting because I, I saw the power of media. I mean, exactly what you guys are doing. The power of media is just immense to influence people, to inspire people. Um, and I think that's what we need to do as, you know, as scientists to try and bring people on board to help us out because we need everyone's help. Spread the word as much as possible. Exactly. I actually started out as an animal behaviourist way back in the day. I used to study marsupials, a little animal called the quokka. Oh my gosh, <laughs> the little smiling one. Yeah, the little yes. the happiest animal in the world, right? Yes. <laughs> if you ever need a boost, I highly recommend you Google these little cuties. Quokka is spelled Q-U-O-K-K-A. You won't be upset that you did. I actually have an emergency stash of quokka photos saved for rainy days. The quokka is a native to Australia, about the size of a house cat, and are marsupials like kangaroos and koalas. Their size, general adorableness, and lack of fear of humans has earned them the nickname the happiest animals on earth. Unfortunately, they're also a vulnerable population. And if you're thinking, okay, what's the issue with losing one happy little animal? Dr. Schmidt's going to tell us why that's a problem. Every species has a role. Every species is is so critically important. Um, my passion has switched from whales to the big cats, the apex mm -hmm. predators, because they are critically important for the health of an ecosystem. Um, if 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 they go extinct, then entire ecosystems can collapse. So Dr. Schmidt mentions going from whales to big cats, but let's rewind a little. She started out studying quokkas, then was called to Antarctica to study whales, but she left the ice-cold seas to go to the ice-cold mountains. Yeah, so I, I actually quit uh, my, my career as a whale scientist to pursue snow leopards because I realized the importance of uh, involving communities and everyday people around conservation efforts. And... You know, I'd, I'd spent a bit of time in Nepal and I'd always had this fascination with snow leopards. I mean, they're such an intriguing species. We know very little about them. Mm -hmm. And I seem to be very drawn to animals that we know very it, little about. Are, is it because they're shy? That's what I've heard. Is it that they're just shy. elusive? <laughs> there are so few of them in okay. the wild and they exist in one of the most uh, challenging terrains on Earth, like across the Himalayas. The Himalayas, of course, being the mountain range that separates the Indian subcontinent from the Tibetan Plateau. The Himalayas are home to Mount Everest, the tallest mountain on Earth, and to snow leopards. So they're, they're very difficult to find, but I, I guess I simply had a curiosity, and so I just started to do my own research, you know, who studies snow leopards? What do we know about snow leopards? How can I get involved? And so I started to read lots of scientific papers. And I found a gap in snow leopard research. So one of the issues um, as a conservation geneticist, when you go out and you collect fecal samples from an animal, like snow leopards, mm -hmm. if you can imagine, like, with the terrain that they live in, you end up walking for, like, three weeks, four weeks, 
up in the mountains to try and find these samples. And then the traditional way of identifying those samples, because you don't necessarily know they're from a snow leopard, is to send them to a lab. Uh, But the problem is most of those samples end up being from another species. So you need a way to be able to identify those samples on the spot, which is actually what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm, I'm developing a species detection technology that can be used by everyday people. So you don't need to be a scientist to use it. And I was inspired, I mean, this is a bit of a segue, but I was inspired by the communities that I was working with uh, in Nepal because they need to be able to identify. uh, So animals can come in, predators can come in and take their livestock, kill their livestock, and that is their livelihood. Often the snow leopard gets the blame and uh, often... Um, people retaliate or, um, yeah, which is not good for, good for the snow leopards, obviously. So they need a way to identify what animal killed their livestock from the saliva marker um, left over on the, bite, on the bite mark. So they then have evidence that they can present to government in order to get compensation. That's fascinating. So it, but there is, you know, many other applications to this type of technology. I mean, kids can use it again. You sort of go back to curiosity. Kids can use it to find out what animals are in their backyard, just wow. from the remains that they leave behind. And this is something that you are developing. Well, um, not me per se, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting a lot of help from McMaster University from a biomedical lab that had actually developed this. It's kind of like a pregnancy test um, <laughs> that they use to detect bacteria in food and water samples. And so I stumbled upon that paper when I was you know, interested in studying snow leopards. And I thought, wow, imagine if we could adapt this to species detection and, that's, and that ties in with my passion around involving everyday people in conservation. So, so yes, applications to communities and everyday people and involving them, but it also has applications for scientists that study endangered species that are difficult to detect in, in the field, such as snow leopards. Um, but it also has huge applications to the illegal wildlife trade and monitoring the illegal wildlife trade. So particularly in developing countries where... Uh, they can't afford to really send a sample off to a lab. In many countries, it's illegal to send sam- samples out of the country. So samples, you know, illegal samples just end up going through without being caught. So this type of technology would empower those people. It's just mind-boggling just what, what we can do with DNA. One of the most mind-boggling things that scientists are trying to crack now is using DNA to bring back previously extinct species. Many say it's not totally possible to bring them back exactly how they were, but DNA can create a great proxy. Dr. Schmidt's come across this in her own career as a TV presenter on the show Animal X. In the documentary series I was in, we had an episode on the thylacine. Thylacine, also known as the Tasmanian tiger or Tasmanian wolf, was a carnivorous marsupial last seen almost 100 years ago. People hoping that they're actually not extinct. But yeah, there, there are efforts at the moment to mm-hmm. cloning... Uh, cloning? Yeah, cloning, um, cloning the Tasmanian tiger from uh, tiger pup samples to try and resurrect them. So this is already happening. So... What sort of game changer would that be if we brought it back? So is it extinct now or is it critically endangered? 
It supposedly went extinct in the 1930s, in 1938, I believe, but there's still reports from local people. They still <laughs> report to see them. And, and in fact, there was a really reputable sighting in the 1980s from a, from a scientist. Uh, so we just don't know if they're still out there. I mean, I hope that they're still out there. In terms of a game changer, it would bring back um, one of Australia's only um, predatory land mammals. I mean, we have the dingo that has mm. been in Australia for the last 10,000, 15,000 years, but this is a, a, a marsupial predator. Uh, we have the Tasmanian devil, but they're mainly scavengers, but this is, this is an apex predator, so it would be incredible. It's just a reminder that all species, great and small, are crucial to maintaining the balance of our planet. I mean, the importance of insects, for example. I mean, we would not survive if insects didn't exist. We as humans tend to think of ourselves as being separate from the rest of, of living things. And this is the problem. This is the problem with that arrogance, right? We, we are an animal. We're a mammal, and we depend upon biodiversity for survival. We, we simply would not exist, and in fact, most of the planet would not exist without. I feel like a lot of times we see ourselves as outliers, like we don't count, but at the same time, that's 100% not true. Like we, we require animals to thrive and to live, and at the end of the day, what can we be doing to, you know, you said that it comes down to people. What can people be doing to help these situations, to try and help repair our planet? Well, I think the first thing that people can do uh, is just get out into nature. Yeah. Like, just simply by getting out into nature, reconnecting, like it's... We've really lost that connection. Like, I... Um, as part of this pandemic, I've... I've spent less time in nature than I ever have. Like I've been, you know, working from home and I feel that disconnect. I feel that loss within me. It's kind of like a depletion of the soul. <laughs> and, and I feel that as human beings, we've really lost that connection. And so you, you're not going to want to protect something that you don't feel a strong connection with. So really, I think that's, that's the first thing that people should do uh, if, they, if they really want to help connect with nature yeah actually see how important it is exactly feel it um so what would be something that you might say to a young aspiring scientist explorer wanting to get out into the wild how does one overcome that fear and let the curiosity win oh that's a beautiful question as part of the explorers club festival i saw this incredible quote given by one of the uh, EC50 speakers and that quote was the most dangerous thing you can do is to remain safe so okay. it's about if if you really want to make a difference in the world if you really you know want to follow your passion you have to push that fear barrier I just think you can never go wrong whenever you follow your heart and I would just encourage any kid interested in conservation to just get out there to, again, spend time in nature, but try and get involved in, in conservation activities. There's mm -hmm. so many groups that you can join. Um, there's um, so many things out there for kids and to start that journey of curiosity. So I have a, 
a little nephew, he's four, and he wants to be a scientist when he grows up. Oh, <laughs> I was like, nice. whoa, hang on. <laughs> be careful. <laughs> it's not easy. But his curiosity is just, we're trying to feed it. Like, we're just giving him as much as possible. At the moment, he's really fascinated by bugs. And uh, he lives in Australia, and I'm, unfortunately, and I live, you know, in Canada. So we're miles apart, but I'm going back to visit at the end of the year, and he just wants to explore with me so I'm going to take him out and oh, wonderful. you know let him touch things in rock pools and um, pick up insects and uh, yeah that we can discover in so many different ways and it's it's all about feeding that passion feeding that uh, love for nature that is wonderful well thank you so so much for your time and thank you for all of your work that you have done because like we said this is a game changer this is, I feel like, something that is going to help animals all over the world when it comes down to it. You're going you're gonna to save species. That's Aww. amazing. So <laughs> thank, thank you so you. much. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about the applications to this. It's, uh, but it's, it's no easy feat trying to develop it. So, yeah, I'm <laughs> I just keeping that. fingers crossed that we can do it. All right. Thank you once again to the incredible Dr. Natalie Schmidt for joining us today. Nate. Nate. What? What? Are you looking hmm? at pictures of quackers again? They're just so darn cute. <laughs> Focus, we have to end the show. Next All week, right. we have another incredible guest for our Explorers Club series. And this one is very special because it's our last episode of the series. So be sure to tune in. We're expanding the realms of exploration. We're adding the realms of art. We're adding... Um, uh, realms of exploration of culture. We're adding sort of a layer of exploration that isn't necessarily geographic. I'm excited for this one, Nate. Me too. We'll see you then. And until next time, stay curious. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Our Discovery Executive Producer is Christina Bavetta. Our Discovery Coordinating Producer is Krishna San Nicholas. This show is hosted by us, Callie Gade and Nate Bonham. Our showrunner is Matt Mayer. Our writers are James Lynch and Jordan Trout. Our researcher is Thomas Martin Messersmith. Sound design, audio engineering, and editing by Nick Carissimi. I'm Callie Gade. And I'm Nate Bonham. We'll see you next week. <laughs>